Our text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 26. It will be found in verses 21 through 35 of Matthew 26, which I'll get to in a minute. John Kenneth Galbraith was a noted economist in the early 1900s. He was called upon by many dignitaries, even presidents, to help sort out the economic markets. He wrote the following story in his autobiography about his housekeeper. It had been a weary day, and I asked Emily, my housekeeper, to hold all the telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon B. Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is the president, Mr. Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson. I'm sorry, sir, but he is sleeping, Mr. President, and he said me not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. No, Mr. President, I work for him, not you. So, this individual said when he called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. The president was so excited, he said, tell that woman I want her here in the White House. Emily, the housekeeper, understood an important truth. She was a servant to one man and obeyed his wishes explicitly. Her loyalties were to Mr. Galbraith alone. What a great example of a true servant. Much of what we do in our life is influenced by our loyalties. Oftentimes our loyalties shape our decisions. They guide our activities and they give purpose to our lives. Shortly before the collapse of the old Soviet Union, Jerry Whitmore, who had sold secret military codes to the Russians, was convicted of treason. In sentencing, in sentencing him, the judge stated that in a time of war, his betrayal could have caused the death of thousands of soldiers and of sailors and have made the difference between victory or defeat for our nation, the United States. It was Sir Walter Scott who wrote, breathes there the man whose soul is so dead who never to himself has said, this is my own, my native land. You know, it's hard for us to understand how anyone could betray our country the way that Whitmore and some others have done since then. But there are many who betray our country. And one way of betrayal is to forget or ignore the ideals or principles that made it great in the first place. And I'm afraid that is the desire, that seems like it is the desire of some in leadership roles throughout the country. I'm not sure that we consider ourselves very patriotic. I'm sure we do. As I look around, I'm sure many of us would say we are very patriotic. And the idea of loyalty to our nation is important. Most of us might be what we call family loyalty also. We'd have loyalty to our husband, our wife, to our children, to our parents, 
It is vital for a happy home, isn't it? And most young children feel a strong school loyalty. They cheer on their teammates, those from their school, and they cheer them on for victory. We all have all kinds of loyalties, but obviously there's one loyalty that should stand in a class by itself. It is the loyalty that should permeate and add even more meaning to our other loyalties, and that is the loyalty to Jesus. This morning, we find ourselves with Jesus in our text. We find ourselves with Jesus and his apostles in Jerusalem. In the upper room, celebrating the Passover, they are eating the Passover meal together. Matthew 26, verse 21 tells us, And while they were eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Well, as you can imagine, this created quite a commotion, I'm sure, among the apostles. And in the midst of the commotion, Jesus leaves the upper room. The meal is over. They sing, probably sing a Passover hymn, and they leave for the Mount of Olives. As they were walking along the way, Peter tells Jesus, you know, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. But what does Jesus answer? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, that this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. We see that in verses 33 through 35, where he said, even if all, Peter says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus, verse 34, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster cock crows three times, you will deny me thrice, three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die for you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. Did you hear the loyalty expressed in the words of Peter? I'm sure it's something that we all are familiar with. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Those are thrilling, heartfelt, loyal words. His loyalty was contagious. Did you notice? Matthew says, and all the other disciples said the same. It was written right after that, the next verse. And all the other disciples said the same. Now compare the scene to the times when we come together to worship Jesus. When we come together and we come together to worship, we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. With other Christians, we draw close to Jesus. And we too should have that feeling of, Lord, I'd die before I would deny you. But Peter failed the loyalty test. Because just a few hours later, he says, I don't know what you are talking about. I don't know that man. Twice he says this about Jesus. And the third time he emphasizes it with oaths and curses. It's the same Peter, but his words are so different. You would ask, what has happened in these few hours? Well, his environment has changed, isn't it? Peter is now in the midst of the enemies of Jesus 
instead of walking with Jesus himself. Here among people who wanted to destroy Jesus, Peter denies him again and again. You see, the environment makes all the difference. What about our loyalty to Jesus? How about us? What effect does environment have upon us? What about our loyalty to Jesus? How would we react if our environment changed? If we are to ask young people, what causes you to say that you would be loyal to Jesus? Perhaps some would say, well, my parents expect me to be loyal. If I weren't a Christian, it would break their hearts. Or what if your parents didn't care? You ask that question. What if your parents didn't care? Would the children still have that same attitude? What if your parents didn't care when you came home at night? Where you had been? Or what you have done? Would you still be loyal to Jesus? What if it didn't matter to them where you spent your eternity? Would you still be loyal? If you were to ask parents, what do parents say? What causes you to stay loyal to Jesus? Some may say, my children need the right example. Well, that is certainly true, I would say. It's wonderful that God has blessed you with children that you can try to set a right example for. And that is a great responsibility that we should partake in. But what if there were no children in your home to follow your example? Would you still be loyal to Jesus? We ask others, what causes you to say that you'll be loyal? And they answer, I appreciate the congregation. I appreciate the members. And I don't want them to be disappointed in me. But what if the congregation isn't really what you expect it to be? Would you still be loyal to Jesus? What if some of the members disappoint you? What if you didn't like the preacher? Okay, no, no open response at this time. Would you still be loyal to Jesus? Would you still meet around the Lord's table with others? Would you still be faithful in your giving of tithes and offerings? Would you still be loyal to him? Unfaithfulness to Christ brings heartache and disappointment. But loyalty to Christ brings rejoicing. So you ask the question, why should you be loyal to Jesus? Why should we be loyal? One reason is because he was loyal to us. Jesus bore our sins on Calvary. He bore your sins. He bore mine. I can't imagine being Put to the point where I'm mocked, I'm ridiculed, I'm spat upon, I'm purposely put in agony by the thorns, by the whipping, by the nails driven in my hands and my feet. And then to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. As we talk about in our Bible study, in Sunday mornings at 10, we're studying in the book of Hebrews. Right now we're in chapter 9. But talking about the love that Jesus had. 
that only he, without sin or blemish, could fulfill what the high priest was doing before him. We think about the forgiveness. Centurion, who I'm sure never believed Jesus beforehand, after his death and witnessed everything, said, truly, this was the Son of God. All the people yelling, let his blood be upon us and our children. It was that same blood that Jesus gave up for each one of them, each one of us, the loyalty. Jesus, the words that we inscript on the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me. We are asked to partake of this every Sunday. On the first day of the week, we know that the disciples got together to partake of the bread and in remembrance of what Jesus had done. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he is just as faithful today as he was then. In Hebrews, we studied it a couple of chapters ago, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And the epistle, 1 John, the epistle 1 John 1 and 9 tells us, He is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins if we do what is expected of us. If we follow and are loyal to him, he will forgive us of our sins. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, that Christ's loyalty stretches into eternity. We can read here, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We will always for eternity be with the Lord. You see, Christ's love for us is constant. Everything else may be swept away, but never his love. Now, what about our love and our loyalty back to him? Jesus says simple words, if you love me, keep my commandments. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Brother Tom, last Sunday, spoke beautiful lesson on the Beatitudes, starting off in Matthew chapter 5, which we are encouraged, blessed are those that do this and that. You see, the real test doesn't come during the church services while we're worshiping with others who love the Lord. It's easy to get in that frame of mind. The real test comes when we find ourselves with those who care nothing about Christ or his church. When we go into our everyday lives and fit into that worldly 
environment. A young man from a good Christian family went off to a large college halfway across the country. Four months later, when he came home for Christmas break, among the questions his mother asked him was, did anyone make fun of you because you're a Christian? The young man hung his head as he answered back. I'm not sure that anyone knows that I am a Christian. Think about that. Four months with his classmates, and no one knows that he is a Christian. As you know, there's a little lizard that changes its color, a little chameleon that can make its environment, matches his environment. He turns brown on the bark of a tree. In grass, he turns a greenish color. At the edge of the blue water, he blends to that color. God gives that chameleon the ability to turn the color of its environment. But God never intended for his people, Christians, to be like that chameleon. Yes, Peter failed the test in the enemy's courtyard. But as you already know, that's not the end of the story. From what I understand, historians say about 53 or you know, less than 60, less than three, two by two months later, probably in Jerusalem on Pentecost, there is Peter proclaiming in Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He has made him both Lord and Christ. It is Peter but his words are so different now, aren't they? Peter is standing fearlessly before those that he probably denied Jesus in front of, before those that killed Jesus, and he has no guarantee that they will not kill him he also. But it now doesn't matter to him. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and Peter is determined to be true to him to the very end. And history tells us that Peter was, that he was put to death for his belief in Jesus. You would ask what has happened. Well, we know after he denied Jesus, the Bible tells us that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He realized his weakness and what he had done, and he bitterly repented of his sin. Then he saw the risen Lord on the resurrection day and many times more before Jesus ascended into heaven. He also heard the command to go and preach the gospel to all the world, knowing now that Jesus is the living Lord. And Peter stands courageously on that day of Pentecost and proclaims for the first time God's message of salvation. We are asked to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We are asked to repent of our sins as Peter did after denying Jesus. We are asked to be buried with him through baptism to wash away our sin and to walk in the newness of life, being found faithful until the end of our life. That is what we need to pass the loyalty test to God and Jesus. Please allow me in closing to use an illustration from the battlefields of World War I. It's an old story, but I think it will get my point across. Two brothers volunteered and went through training together. They crossed the Atlantic on the same transport ship. 
and they went through several battles together. One day, after a particularly hard-fought battle in the Aragon Forest, Jack came back to a hastily set up his camp. He looked for his brother Bill, but Bill was nowhere to be found. He sought permission from his commanding officer to go back into the forest, but the officer refused to grant that permission. He pointed out that Jack might just be risking his life in vain. But Jack continued to plead. Finally, the officer gave him permission to go. Hours later, with the lifeless body of his brother in his arms, he made his way back into camp. Seeing him, the officer said, Young man, it was just like I said, wasn't it? You risked your life in vain. With tears streaming down his cheek, Jack replied, No, sir, I did not risk my life in vain. When I found my brother Bill, he was still alive. And when I bent over to pick him up and he saw who I was, he said, Jack, I knew you would come back for me. These brothers, loyal to one another, were so close that only death could separate them. But friends, the Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 24 that we have a man who has friends. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. One from whom even death cannot separate us. And if we are loyal to him, then someday we shall walk into eternity with him. We have the scripture that tells us, what shall separate us from the love of Jesus? Neither heights nor depths nor municipalities, we know that there's nothing except ourselves that can separate us from the love of Jesus that God has given so openly for us that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son to us. We know that we are given that promise that being loyal and faithful that we can walk eternity with him. He is coming for us. Whether we are alive or dead, we shall look up someday and with the same assurance as the brother on the battlefield, we will joyously cry out, Lord, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. If you read the very end of the book of Revelation, Lord, come quickly. We look at the very end of the Bible. Jesus concluded it all. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, come quickly. I'd like to close with this poem. Christina Rossetti wrote the following poem, very short. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd... I would give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I give him? 
I'll give him my heart. That is what God asks us today. There is nothing more that we can give God that he would need except our heart. Our loyalty to him. Give up your heart unto the Lord. What shall we profit if we gain the entire world? But we lose our very own soul. So today, whatever means we need to turn our heart to God, whether it be through the obedience of baptism or through prayer of the congregation, whatever our need is, we have the opportunity to come and make it right as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.